And this is being recorded live on TalkShoe, October 9th, 2009. I'm playing with times currently with regards to when we'll actually do the Model Rail radio recordings. Uh, I'm currently recording at 6pm. I tried 6.30 a couple of weeks ago. However, these shows have yet to go live. So if you're listening to this and wondering why you're hearing this show in the future, it's because I've had a pretty busy week at work. Uh, my wife's away currently. I've been doing a lot of extra work and I haven't had a chance to put the site together. However, this weekend, the site will go live. The feed will go live. Hopefully iTunes will pick it up. And then uh, you'll be able to go to modelrailradio.com and check out when the next show will be and you can call in and participate. Also, if you're interested in setting up a particular time for a show, my plan is probably to do it on Friday evening. I record my other podcast Friday at 8 p.m. Pacific, so I was planning on doing it every other Friday with the view that it would not hit my other podcast. However, if there's a particular group of listeners who'd like me to do a show at another time, either on Friday evening or through the weekend, please get in contact, tom at modelrailradio.com, all one word. But I wanted to record the show this evening, particularly with regards to a shelf layout that I'm working on currently, and also to give some kind of broader background to my experiences doing layout planning and actually moving towards laying track. There's a lot of popular thought, or should I say, there's a lot of publicized thought associated with using software programs and paper and track in order to create layouts. But my own experience has kind of moved away from some of that conventional wisdom, and I just wanted to put it out there as, as being my own experience. I use a, a program called Rail Modeler on the Mac, and really, for me, it's a killer app for my Mac. It's something that I've used for uh, a couple of years now in terms of working out track layouts and testing them before I actually lay track. And I use it really as a kind of sketching tool to look at the various track dynamics and see how things fit together uh, in a particular fashion. And use this, I kind of keep in part a library, of a physical library of, of layout ideas, and then also a mental library of how various track components fit together. And obviously, I think there are probably six or seven different scales that Rail Modeler allows you to put track together with. In terms of user interface, it has probably the slickest user interface. I've used Extract CAD and the Atlas program on Windows and various Windows applications, but Rail Modeler for the Mac has, has been the, the easiest for me to use. And certainly in terms of, I'm primarily doing my, my layouts with Atlas, so you know it has the Atlas layout stuff, so it all, all comes together well. But this new layout that I'm doing on a shelf, and I'm doing it on a shelf just above my computer area, it's about six feet by probably seven feet, just under seven feet in terms of an L shelf. And I've been thinking for a number of months about how to do this layout. This is something that really came from, we moved into a house in November last year, and previously when we were living in an apartment, a shelf layout, in fact a smaller shelf layout, was the only option that I really had with regards to doing any kind of 
of rail layout. But it's interesting, actually, Model Railroader, the magazine, has put out a couple of articles about shelf layouts recently. They have a new book out about shelf layouts. And I think the general consensus, whether or not it's being stated explicitly uh, within the, the kind of broader hobby publications, is that people are looking more towards shelf layouts. And, I mean, it makes logical sense, you know, particularly with regards to become more people living in apartments and, and condominiums and these kind of areas, space at a premium. A shelf layout gives you two benefits. The first is obviously it doesn't consume a lot of space, but the second is that there's a, there's a critical ratio of kind of scenery to rail, which shelf layouts have. So anyway, with this six foot by seven foot L space that I have slightly above my computer table, there were many possible options. And certainly when I was uh, back in the apartment, I had this mapped out in Rail Modeler and was kind of fitting tracks together and getting a sense of what I was looking at. But there was a, a seminal article with regards to a Union Pacific layout, an N-scale layout in Rochelle in Illinois, I believe. And the fellow has a YouTube channel as well that I'm subscribed to. And that inspired me to use the Atlas 55 N-scale, which is pretty fine. But in terms of realistic appearance, obviously it requires some weathering, this kind of stuff. But it's a scale and a, a track format that has really captivated me. So the shelf layout will be, as my table layout is downstairs, uh, in, in the same gauge. I wanted to do something that was slightly more freelance and really... I don't know. My, my wife is inspired to build uh, little N-scale buildings, and I wanted to support her in this, but her interest is really in the kind of 1950s time frame, which is probably a little bit earlier than I'd previously thought about uh, doing modeling. But she's really taken over the, the table downstairs in terms of being in that period and taking that fashion, which will give a, a number of options with regards to actually getting uh, trains and possible areas that one can model. I think it will really be down to her about where the uh, layout downstairs takes place. But the layout upstairs I just wanted to do as a simple switching layout, and it's something that I thought about quite a bit, particularly as it's freelance, it gives me a, a number of options. But the mathematics associated with switching and particularly switching between two yards and the kinds of trackage captivated me even when I lived in the UK. The idea, I mean, switching in the UK is primarily to do with passengers, although it is obviously industry. The passenger switching problems that occur in the UK are absolutely fascinating. I mean, you could have imagined the, the stations and the trackage, but also the, the many different areas that the trains have to cover and the kind of combination of uh, historically laid track that dates back to the 19th century through to the modern track and kind of change of track modernisation. I remember when I was in the UK that they were trying to redo you know, large sections of track, particularly for the high-speed trains between Manchester and London. Thinking of switching layout purely in terms of industry, I think, is a bit artificial in some regard. In fact, I'm on the cusp of making the switching shelf layout be a UK-based layout just because I really like the uh, two and three compartment. They're almost mechanised carriages, I think you'd probably call it, because there's no real... You know, there's no front engine, they're just two or three or four carriages that are mechanised and they do these interval shifts. I think pretty well distances kind of Cambridge, London, throughout the kind of Manchester area, I don't think they really extend. Although, when I think about it, a lot of the Welsh carriers actually were similar style trains and did quite long distances based on them. So, you know, there are these options. These are things that I have yet to consider, but through uh, this particular podcast, I'll be talking a lot more about my shelf layout, and you'll hear a lot more about my ideas associated with whether it will become a kind of industry switching layout or whether it will be a people switching layout. 
And certainly in terms of modeling options, this is something that I'm considering currently. But I wanted to talk a little bit more about my techniques for freelancing and some of the experiences that I've had with regards to using an electronic track laying program and some of the experimentation that can be had with that. So as I mentioned, you know, within the within the popular circles, there's a general consensus that these electronic track programs are problematic and make people waste a lot of money and all this kind of stuff. What do these people the people that spouse this typically also charge four hundred, six hundred, eight hundred more than $1,000 for layouts that they will design for you. And the things that I've learned about with regards to these programs is just that before you actually go out and buy the track, you need to have your own experiences operating on the track. And this may seem rather strange with regards to software. I mean, I've taken it to a point where I'll print out track layouts and then move around pennies or put them on corkboard and move around pins to try to get a sense of the the layout problems, and there's, there's a critical mix between kind of complexity and simplicity, uh, particularly with regards to turnout laying and positioning of turnouts in kind of critical sections, which this, this technique has really helped me with. And I think there are certainly certain rules of thumb that where you have, you know, the maximum number of nice turnouts possible, then subtract two or three every ten to make it a, a realistic or at least an interesting layout, particularly with regards to switching problems. And certainly, as I look at this L-shaped layout that I have currently, this has gone within the past week, and obviously this is the week my wife is away, but within the past week I've gone through nightly iterations of the layout, just tuning various areas. And the thing that interested me with this kind of track-first philosophy is that you can start to look at space as how the track can actually map on it. For example, there are two cross points in this layout, and there seems to be a theme that has come through the layout of a kind of central main line, a single main line, and then having industries on either side of this main line that need to exchange traffic. Now, it would be possible, and this is something that I really should consider to do, slightly multi-level, to have kind of rises and falls and ways of actually crossing the main line that don't necessarily intersect with the main line track. But in terms of my own experimentation, putting these things down on paper, and this is the kind of movement from paper to electronic form back to paper to electronic form, for me personally, holding a sheet of paper and wandering around with a sheet of paper is slightly better than having it in an electronic form in terms of there are two distinct components here. The first is actually laying the track and looking at the dimensionalities of the track and how it all fits together. And the second point is looking at it in a broader sense of, well, you have these kind of entry tracks and exiting tracks and how does all this fit together? And certainly there's an applied science and a kind of applied conservatism that exists through layout seeks and these kind of things. But there's also something that can be empirically learnt by just doing this process. And this is what interests me. I mean, particularly intersecting turnouts, what would be called points uh, outside the US. I mean, these kind of problems, and particularly if you look at an L-shaped layout or any kind of shelf layout, you'll always have problems associated with the end of track sections. You want to have enough track at the end to have, depending on how many cars you're lining up, maybe four cars and an engine or possibly three cars and an engine before you really have any switching. You need to have this period where you can actually place the end tracks or possibly have trains coming off that point. But the way in which you lay out a shelf based on these parameters is a fascinating thing. And it's something that you can see empirically just by starting with a, 
with a shelf layout and placing track on it and just getting a sense of the dimensions involved, particularly with regards to radiuses as well. I'm talking about the straights initially, but I wanted to move into some discussion associated with radiuses too. Because obviously, well, if you're just dealing with a straight shelf layout, there are not going to be a lot of radius issues. You know, as a crossing of track and these kind of things which have subtle radius curves. But the area where radiuses come in is obviously if you have L kind of shaped shelf layouts or anything where... You're changing direction in, in right angles, either tighter or looser. I had experimented with an idea to do a shelf layout that actually went into a bookshelf. And this you've got to appreciate. The bookshelf isn't absolutely flush with the wall, so there would be a kind of one-foot section that the shelf would come up to. Then it would jut out another foot section, and then it would actually go into the shelf of a bookshelf. And this was to do with utilising space. So I put this into uh, Rail Modeler and started playing with just tracks. How would you get trains in and out of the bookshelf? What would it actually look like? I mean, the bookshelf is about two and a half feet wide, so it's got a, a natural width to it. Actually, it's probably, I've got it right in front of me, a two and a half feet wide. So it's not a very wide shelf. It's about probably 11 inches deep. But you have to get trains in and out of this environment in order for it to be productive. And having done this for about 48 hours and having looked at various possible layouts, there was no way that I could do it in a kind of productive fashion. It would either be a dead end with it would have no space for a turnout or it would be something that just would look rather awkward. I mean, you'd have the back section which would go in behind the bookshelf and then you'd have a section that would loop around into the bookshelf and then you'd have a shelf running on past that. So I eliminated that as a possibility, but this was really a thought experiment that needed to be had both within my own mind, within software, and also on paper. And I mean, my background is with regards to software engineering, and I don't want to digress too heavily into this, but I have met people who, as software engineers, only need to use one of these interfaces. They only need to use, uh, they can write code directly, you know, from their head into the computer. They have this kind of transition. But I think a lot of us are probably some steps away from that. And all these things are basically tools that we can utilize in order to make track laying a more intuitive experience or at least generate enough intuition where we're not spending a lot of money on track or necessarily paying a lot of money for conventional wisdom. Rail Modeler as a program I think cost me about $30 and it comes, there's another option to buy kind of electronic train software which after about two years worth of using Rail Modeler I paid again probably another $30 in order to actually have access to that particular software too. Ironically, um, within about six months, and this is currently the case as well, the Trainplayer software no longer works on Macs. And moreover, it's kind of broken the compatibility with the output, so I've had to back out my rail modeler software in order to maintain the compatibility with the Trainplayer software. Talking about curves specifically, I think there are some golden rules associated with the kind of tightness of curves that you can place on a layout, and this came both empirically reading a lot of conventional wisdom and also just looking at the possibilities. There's a fascinating uh, book by a fellow called John Armstrong, I believe that's the fellow's name, he's now deceased, but I think that is really the, the fundamental book in terms of explaining the physics of what goes on in trains in terms of oscillations, curves, entering into switches and these kind of problems. You can generate a lot of this knowledge empirically though, but from my own experience, moving from an electronic environment of laying track to a physical environment of, of laying track, to experimenting with speeds, particularly speeds with cars that weren't particularly stable in certain situations, I began to see this oscillating phenomenon in, in reality in the table layout downstairs, the point where 
there are sections of track that certainly have speed restrictions imposed on them. I mean, my kind of engineering background is very much in terms of working out what the maximum speeds are in particular sections and then just getting a sense of the limitations of the track. But this also is fed back into my own experimentation with regards to shelf layouts. So I don't want to say this is a golden rule associated with a certain, you know, radius of curve associated with particular kinds of layouts. There's a general kind of rule of thumb associated with it. But certainly my own experimentation, and this is pretty well reinforced by the literature too, the wider the radius, the better. But at the same point, you don't want radiuses that are too large, that are going to be taking up too much space. So you have this kind of realism and physics on one end, and then you just have the practicalities of actually needing a radius on the other end. So in the current shelf layout, I'm looking at uh, 15 and 16 and a half radius, because there are two tracks that follow the curve around. And then use replications of this. There are a lot of kind of 15 undulations, particularly around the crossover tracks. This is just an experiment that I'm doing currently. I'm not really sure in terms of the shelf layout what the time frame will be with regards to getting the parts of these kind of things. This is a negotiation to be had with the wife when she returns. But I do get the sense that I want to do different things on this layout upstairs than I'm doing on the, the downstairs table layout. I really want this to be more about the mathematics of switching and also some aspects of operation. For example, the, the downstairs layout is DC, and it will probably continue to be DC for a number of months. I think in terms of my wife's interest, you know, she wants to do a lot of the scenery, a lot of the construction, the model building associated with the layout, and for me that's fine. The layout was designed relatively simply. I will put layout images on the Model Rail radio website in order to give an introduction of me uh, and also the layouts that I have. But I think that was done in large part because I wanted it to be a relatively simple layout. I didn't want to have too many turnouts on the layout. I didn't want it to be something that would be you know, a series of switching problems. I just wanted something that would be a start, give me a sense of the parameters associated with radiuses, associated with the track, associated with little things like electrical conductivity that I spoke about in the last podcast. But all these things come together and the, the downstairs layout is what it is. However, the one that I have upstairs, I think, could be turned into a, a DCC layout relatively quickly. The possibility of having three or four trains operating at the same time, I think, is pretty good. And the kind of stuff that I want to do on it is more associated with the mathematical problems associated with switching and also just something to keep my interest up. We have a guest in the chat room. Hello guest. I'm not sure if you're tuning in for the first time or if you've just heard that the show is recording. The stuff that I'm talking about this evening is with regards to creating a model railroad shelf layout and the various issues associated with that. I'm talking about my own experiences. So anyway, having done the electronic plan of the track and having gone through these recent iterations, I started thinking about the narrative associated with this layout. I mean, the beauty of creating a, a freelance layout is that you can create a story associated with it. The stuff that I was discussing uh, with regards to passenger trains, for example, come into play here and also the potential of industries along the layout. And you really start with a blank slate. There is a combination here of actually looking at the way the rail kind of lies, the sense that the simplest part of the rail, the the, the one that straight is the straightest and goes the uh, shortest possible distance across the layout is probably going to be the main line. And the stuff coming off that, the adjacent tracks, there may be additional tracks that could be... Uh, 
secondary lines or things that are going along nearby. And these form a broader story associated with the layout. So this is something I'm experimenting currently with because obviously my wife's interest is in regards to building buildings and scenery and these kind of things. And if I can give this narrative to her with regards to the new layout, then I give the opportunity for her to, to build related structures and kind of fit in with the narrative. So I'm still not clear. I'm, I'm very interested in modern rail. This is something which has come through my own experiences. I uh, was talking with co-workers only this week with regards to my experiences in the, in the late 90s and turn of the century and travelling the US rail lines and the people that I met and the stuff that I saw through these lines. So my interest is really with regards to contemporary railroads. My wife has an interest with regards to the 1950s, as I previously mentioned. But having laid out the, the basics of the shelf layout, having gotten the sense that the narrative is associated with a single main line, with probably two lesser lines that come near it, and also the kind of crossing and switching and stuff that's moving around this main line, it gives me a better sense of what kind of narrative I want associated with this layout. Now, the beauty that I've seen in a lot of layouts is the ability to mix the kind of residential and industrial and centres of commerce and also roads and environmental components into a layout. And this is something that I'm very mindful of when I design the layout, that there needs to be a narrative associated with it. It is something which is fundamentally freelance. It's fundamentally coming from my imagination, but will it be in a part of the U.S., for example, will it be in a fictitious part of the U.S.? Will it use an existing line like Union Pacific or CSX? Or will it be something which is, requires a new line running on the same kind of equipment that Union Pacific or CSX would use, but with a different color scheme and different narrative? All these possibilities are open to me. I don't want to start eliminating these things early on. I want to create something which could contain all these possible narratives and then within this, you have the questions of, will it have a passenger service? Will it contain industry? What kind of industry will it contain? What's the narrative associated with the industry that will lie along these routes? So as I've talked about previously, my original plan with the table layout was to do it in Las Vegas, to do a local kind of desert-style layout. I went out to locations, took a lot of photographs of my wife, got a sense of the layout on the ground, laid the track, put it down accordingly, and then, you know, the spousal interest kind of picked up and my wife wanted to do it in a 1950s fashion. So this is an interesting kind of proto-land situation. This is a combination of taking prototype components of Las Vegas, putting it in, in track form, and then mapping onto that the potential that this is actually a, a possibly a new railroad with something that looks like the Las Vegas track in certain areas, but... What you understand is that all these things are really components that you can use again. This is very much an engineering hobby. This is very much taking a set of designs that work in one place and putting them together in another place. So I don't necessarily feel like I've lost the layout in that regard. But with regards to this new layout, I haven't done any of the background. I haven't looked at existing railroads. A lot of the experiences come with... Almost what I want to think of them like kind of jazz music that, you know, if you play an instrument and if you're interested in a certain amount of kind of freestyle playing of the instrument, you get a series of chords or a series of progressions or a series of ideas that stick with you. And this is something that I wanted to map back onto the shelf layout. But there were certain things where I thought, oh, I never really could do that in reality. I mean, some of the switch breaks and some of the, you know, some of the side tracks and these kind of things. And looking at it, there are certainly sections of track which would not really work out in reality. I think when you start doing the turnout subtraction, 
you get to a stage where you have the critical right number of turnouts, you have something which has side tracks and things which you know, we'll, we'll obviously do the perfect switching problems where things can come out and things can go in. But I think things are never really like that in reality. So what I've done is gotten to that perfect level and then done my two or three turnouts subtraction in order to make the problem slightly more hairy and slightly more, well, I don't want to use the term realistic associated with a, a freelance railroad, but certainly something that will captivate uh, in terms of the narrative associated with that. Land objects, um, things like hills, uh, rocky outcrops, particularly old trees, these kind of things, although particularly old trees in general were not, not necessarily an obstacle for a railroad layout, but buildings can be an obstacle for a new railroad. So all these kind of things fitted into my narrative, that when I started removing turnouts, when I started to change the track and push things in different directions, my thought was, this is something that could be explained with the geography in a perfect fashion. Now, obviously, with kind of large-scale layouts and large industries and these kind of things, mountains get blown apart in order to so the rails must go through. But in terms of the smaller, you know, the smaller lines, the kind of stuff that one would model in a shelf layout, the possibility with regards to these things is more realistic that if you have eccentric turns, which you're putting in, in part in terms of forcing and part in terms of just doing track experimentation, then these eccentric turns can be described by basically either buildings or land formations or critical things that would stop the track from going the normal way. Now, here, obviously, creeks, rivers, these kind of things make sense, although increasingly, you know, you lay pipes, you cover them over, and then the creek just goes underneath whatever you're doing. But there are things that you can put into the layout after the fact. And this is the interesting thing, that I'm using the kind of track-first methodology associated with you have a track, you're experimenting with it, you're playing with it in various fashions, and then you end up with a situation where you've gotten the track and now you're creating the stuff around it. And really, you can use the track almost as an ex a narrative explanation, which is really the theme of tonight's show. The idea that when you can create a, a layout, the track comes first, the experimentation associated with the track comes there, and then you can start making things fit in with what you're doing. So... I have this shelf layout, as I've previously described, kind of six-foot by seven-foot shelf layout that's in the corner of a loft area has my computer underneath. And I have running through it typically two tracks at, um, at any point as you divide down the, the thin part of the shelf, but at some stages um, at four. I mean, I think four is probably the, the maximum looking through it. But there's still a lot of areas where small structures can exist. And, I mean, this is the beauty of N-scale in HO and larger scales. I mean, obviously, in shelf layouts, this becomes more problematic. But there are certainly ways that these things can fit together. And what I've looked at is, okay, well, now I've got the, the track laid out. What do I need to put in terms of buildings and structures around the track to try and justify this? And this is a beautiful additional narrative thing. So, for example, I have one section of track where there's a kind of awkward bend that comes off the main line. It goes into a turnout and then does another awkward bend. And really, there's a need for a building, some kind of industry, and a little offshoot track, just some little turnout that services that industry to be there. So tonight, I'm going to go in the program, and after I get off the, after I get off the line from doing this show, and actually start doing some experimenting about how that will look. And there's a similar, because, I mean, obviously there is a there's kind of loop curve. There is a similar area on the other side of the, of the L 
Uh, where similarly another short line could be put out, little turnout, little industry. However, I don't want to create something which is necessarily in parallel. I don't want to create something where I've just taken a mirror image, you know, one set of problems, one side, one set of problems, the other side. I want it to look have some degree of kind of eclectic natural appearance, in which case I probably wouldn't mirror the same technique on one side of the L to the other side of the L. But this is really the stuff that I'm talking about in terms of kind of imagination, almost having a narrative discussion with yourself in terms of a layout. Now, I mean, if you have friends, if you have folks you can talk to, if you have people you can throw the, the ideas down with who have previous experience, I mean, please utilize them. But part of this process is also going to be about strengthening your own ideas. And really, this is the background for why I wanted to do this podcast in particular, is that I think this is a hobby that has a lot of conventional wisdom, which is fundamentally wrong. And a lot of that can be changed by basically doing a series of experiments. And for me, well, I mean, whilst I had a kind of childhood model railroading hobby, in terms of the actual engineering, the putting things together, the sense of, you know, how layouts are going to look, what I wanted to put in them, the simplicity and also the complexity that I wanted to add to a layout, this really kind of took on more of the characteristics that I have had with my other hobbies relating to kind of engineering style hobbies and the way the way one kind of constructs these things in thought experiments and plans them out in a particular fashion. So really this was my idea with regards to how I was going to approach doing model rail layouts as well, to take these kind of, you know, you plan, you learn, you experiment, you replan, you learn, you experiment, doing these things in software on paper, doing the possibilities, the what-if scenarios before you actually bought any track and started doing woodwork, although, you know, I have experience with that as well, and I've done that after the fact. But the fact that there is a theory and a methodology behind this which you can uniquely create. You can create layouts which are unique and very much part of your own perspective based on a lot of planning, a lot of experimentation, some background research, I thoroughly recommend reading, you know, all the, all the popular literature, but also taking a certain kind of grain of salt associated with that and appreciating that a lot of the stuff has various interests associated with it, which aren't always necessarily about helping the hobbyists the fastest way possible. So I wanted to take some of the kind of open source methodology that I had, particularly with regards to putting free information out there and getting relevant discourse and putting it into this show. So anyway, as things progress with regards to my shelf layout, particularly as the narrative develops, the idea of is it two towns, is it two towns plus a small industrial section, is it going to be rural? I don't think it'll be rural. It's probably going to have to have some buildings associated with it. But as the narrative builds, I'm certainly going to talk about it more in this podcast. And I encourage others to call in. When the podcast goes live, we, we had a fellow in the chat room this evening. Uh, we do have a live chat room as well. So when we are organizing the recording sessions and when they go up on modelrailradio.com, please feel free to stop by, come into the chat room, you know, call in if you'd like to call in. And if you have similar experiences or if you want to give some discussion of your own layouts, please do so. That's what the show is all about. I'm Tom Barbelay in Las Vegas, Nevada. This has been the second blind recording associated with Model Rail Radio. My hope is that the next one will be purely public. It will be out there. It will be in iTunes. And I'm looking forward to, to many folks listening in. Thank you very much for tuning in this evening. I'm Tom Barbelay. Good night. <laughs>